LifeWay Leadership Podcast Network. You're listening to the Group Answers Podcast, a weekly show designed to resource, train, and encourage small group leaders. Each episode considers current trends and resources, as well as timeless truths and methods of discipleship. It's hosted by Brian Daniel and Chris Surratt. Now, enjoy the show. But welcome back to the Group Answers Show. I am Brian Daniel. Chris calls me BD. Always here with Chris Surratt. Always. What's up, BD? Episode 200 and something odd. 56. I, I know I call attention to that a lot, and that's because I am shocked that we continue in this way. But I am, I am glad to be here and looking forward to another good time today. Do you remember our first podcast to get, not co-hosting, but do you remember the first podcast that you and I were in the same room for? Yeah, yeah. I think you were like 16 years old then. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, it was like 16 years ago. It was not. What you mean. Uh-uh. No, it, it wasn't. It was 2000. <laughs> it was 2015. And you and Rick Howerton had just started uh, what became Group Answers. Um, and I was the first guest and I had never met you. And uh, you stood out in the hallway while Rick did the interview and then came in and, and greeted me. And it was, it was, uh, yeah, it was great. I'll Why did we forget. do that? Oh, probably because we just had two microphones. Well, yeah. And I think you guys had a format where you and Rick would do like 30 minutes, just you two. And then no. you would do the interview. And yeah, it was well, that a was, world. that wasn't smart. Why did we do that? <laughs> we, we were at the last. SBC building, weren't we? We were. Yes. I remember that. Yep. Yep. So I saw on Instagram, which is where I stalk you now that I don't work in the office with you, that you were over on the West Coast, the Northwest Coast yeah. of uh, Oregon, <laughs> uh, chasing some gold or something. So uh, beautiful pictures. But what were you doing out there? Well, uh, uh, 2024 Vacation Bible School filming and production is underway. And so we had a team out there and when I have an opportunity to get some other meetings and uh, advance some other relationships and we've got something like that going on, a lot of times I'll take a hard look at that and make the decision. It's like, yeah, I'm going to go see what I've never watched a vacation Bible school project from its origin. So it's like this is a good opportunity for that. And I can meet some people that we know out there because it's not the, as you know, it's not the easiest place to get to from the, from the Southeast. I mean, it's, no, it's not. It's kind of out of the way. It was a, you know, five hour flight to Seattle and then another hour over to Portland and then an hour and a half, two hour drive over to uh, the coast. But Chris, that place is really something else. I tell people I, I love ocean. I love mountains. I'm okay in the hiking and backpacking. But if you can put all three together, you've really done something. And that's kind of mm-hmm. what the Oregon coast is. It really is. It's gorgeous. I remember my first time out there, I went to uh, Bedford, Oregon, and just a beautiful little town. But we uh, we were recording an album, and uh, we got to go on a, our day off and drive out to Crater Lake. I don't know if you've ever been to Crater Lake. seen pictures, but, and that's in that area, but I can't believe I've never been there. Because it's not well, a hard hike go. up to the lake, right? It's like a mile and a half. Or... Well, we drove almost all the way up yeah. to it. And um, it's uh, it has some, like, it's the clearest, largest 
man-made lake in the world or something like that because it was a crater um uh that that filled up with water and it's just gorgeous absolutely beautiful i've never been to the coast of oregon that that i've only seen pictures of yeah yeah it's uh, you know, uh, if you're familiar with that sort of thing, you're all maybe as different, but spending most of my time in, in the Southwest and the Southeast to go to a place like that just blows my mind. It's really something else. So yeah. we, uh, I spent, I spent, uh, like one of the, one of the meetings that I had was with the church planner in the area. And I wanted to, I wanted to just, I thought it'd be interesting to talk about this for just a minute. I think it's relevant to our listeners and be interesting to get some of your thoughts on it. So this is a church that was planted in Portland, downtown Portland. So I think we're all familiar or should be familiar with just the state of things there. It's just, it's just become a lot different from other places, particularly in the context of the Southeast and, and Southwest and certainly Midwest and, and just the way that the politics have played out there. And so they planted this church in 2015. Is it I think. like, is it like Portlandia? I have, have not seen, seen that show. Sadly, it looks like a show uh, that I would like, but I, I doubt it. I just hope it's like that. That's all I, I hope. It's just all coffee shops and people and, wearing and music caps. Yeah. I, I think it once was like that. I think once Portland was Probably a thriving pre-COVID. downtown. And had a distinct culture like, like Nashville has become, but Austin, Texas and places like that. Usually I heard Mm -hmm. Portland mentioned in the context of like Austin, Austin, Texas and to a lesser degree, Nashville, because it's just got its own kind of heartbeat for a Midwestern city or like a city like that. But it's, they've got, they've got a, a, a significant homeless problem. They've got a significant crime problem. There is its own micro recession in the area. And so, you know, one of the things I picked up on was buildings and, and office space. Once those leases are up, you're going to have even more vacant vacancies. I think because of all that, they've lost a lot of the tourist industry. You've got staples like Stumptown Coffee and Powell's City of Books that are, that are world famous. And you wonder what the future of those two downtown institutions are. So it's just a really interesting paradigm for a church context. So is the bookstore, sorry, is the bookstore, is that's the largest used bookstore in the, in America or in the world or something like that? I get, I get it confused with, is it city lights that's in San Francisco where, uh, Snyder and, um, I think Portland has the largest one. I think that yeah. I've always wanted to go. I've been to Portland a few times, it's but huge. I've never been able to go. I bought a coffee yeah. cup there this time. So you can laugh nice. at me later. I nice. rarely do that, but I noticed our coffee mug inventory is getting kind of dated. So I took the opportunity. But anyway, I, I only laugh at your accent over <laughs> anything you purchase. <laughs> um, so they planted this search in 2017. They, the, 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 the first senior pastor or planning pastor started, you know, landed in Portland in 2015. So they had some momentum going and COVID hit. And like we were saying earlier in our pre-production show, COVID Portland, a whole lot different than COVID anywhere else. If you, if you guys will remember, um, I believe Seattle was ground zero for Portland and then it moved to Orange County or maybe Northern California somewhere, but Portland was right there in that mix. And then it moved eastward and we had a big mess in New York City and we've all remember those pictures of the exhausted medical staff. Well, Portland was a part of the early most affected or dramatically affected by COVID. And mm-hmm. because of the way that those states are run out there, they're just much more sensitive to 
like health and the consequences of decisions like that. And so they err on the side of caution to a much greater extent than some, some other places. So just recently, Chris was the, was the mask uh, mandate lifted, which was surprising to me because we've been without that for a long time here. Yeah. So prior to COVID, they were more of a suburban, uh, context, which surprises me because it seemed flipped. Um, when the downtown area was thriving, they were more suburban and they were having people drive in. And now in post COVID Portland, they're much more local downtown and a, and a micro text. And so is that because people are less willing to drive downtown because of the violence? And well, crime and- it's gotta be. I can't remember. I asked that question. And I can't remember what the answer was, but that, you know, a lot of times, I don't know if you're the same way. I won't log answers if they're consistent with my assumptions. So that could right. be it. Um, I just remember being surprised at that. I would have thought, I really would have thought it would have been more the suburban driving in for some reason. So they've had to move from that suburban context to something that's a lot more uh, city center ethos. And so when I was, when I was uh, in that conversation, he was getting texts from a group that was coming from Texas. And that was really interesting because we've talked about my daughter, Skylar, who's in New York City, and, and they have short-term mission groups coming from all over the place to New York City all the time. And so in a recent conversation, she was saying things like, you know, we love it when people come, but it's really hard. And this is Skylar talking. It's really hard for me to understand, um, how this works when, unless you, know the city, unless you live the rhythm of the city, unless you love the city. And so it was out of that recent conversation that I had that I was having a lot of this interaction. So some of the questions I had were about how do you disciple? Um, what's a win? Um, how do you integrate like this church, this group coming from this Texas church into a week? How do you make that most useful? And so it was, it was, it's kind of interesting. So I just wanted to just, just a couple of things. Yeah. One is they have a typical Sunday service like the rest of us. Um, they, they have learned, uh, they have small groups, not that many. And the, and the small groups are out. They're not centralized in the city. They're out where the communities are. They are moving towards. They're establishing a what you and I've talked about is more micro groups or triads or quads growth groups that are more that are more uh, gender specific. Now, they don't know how they're going to resource those yet. And resourcing even those small groups is still something that they're working through. They do sermon based uh, like a like, you know, like we've seen before, like one page. But mm-hmm. um they're kind of at that place, and we've talked about this on the show, to where the small groups have become what they are, which is a lot more communal, a lot more relational, a lot more social. And what they're doing is what we've talked about. Just roll with it. Just let the groups become what they are in a place like Portland, where you really need the relational atmosphere and context first. You've got to land that. So you can disarm the skepticism and the negativity and the outright animosity towards a church presence. So you build that relational core. And I believe that's why they're tacking on these growth groups to that. And that's a place where you to I'll use this word and I don't really mean it in the period sense, but you a sense graduate into that. So you wouldn't necessarily introduce that right away. So I asked him, I said, so at this barbecue that you have, and they've had some success with this, at this barbecue you've had, 
Uh, what's a win? So what are you looking for? And what really is working for them is when these missional groups come in, they let them manage all of the technical, mechanical aspects of the barbecue. So they'll man the grills, they'll do all the cooking, and it allows the church staff to be with the people and introduce themselves and have meaningful conversations and you know extend extend that relational uh, enterprise outward to a greater extent. But a win, he said, I really like this answer. And uh, I'm going to get your response here in a minute, and I'll pause. But I, I said, so what's a win in that? He said, to get somebody to come to another church function. It doesn't matter what it is. It could be Sunday. It could be the next barbecue. It could be a small group. Or I guess it could be one of those growth groups that's more gender specific. Like I can see a single male or female being drawn to that. Um, more intimate, smaller, and gender specific depending on the background. So I really like that a lot. And I thought it was – I just thought it was noteworthy – a lot because it's been a, a large part of our conversation about that second context in a place like Portland. And so those groups become like the traditional small group becomes something that's a lot more social. There is Bible conversation there, but I think it's a lot more redemptive community focused than it is Bible study focused. And then the, and then the heavier the heavier handed discipling or disciple making conversations happening in those, in those growth groups. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think it proves the fact that we uh, cannot dictate how other churches, other parts of the country do discipleship. You know, I think sometimes, especially being here in the South, um, in the Bible belt that we think we have it figured out. Well, you've got to have this type of Bible study. It's got to lead with that. It's, you know, build community around that. And for the Bible belt and places that we, we naturally are in, that's true. But then when you get, it reminds me of some of the conversations we had with Ashley Anderson out in uh, New York, um, in, in the middle of New York City. And when they were going through COVID, they were just trying to get people together to have community. And, and it really was. And, and she's a part of a very Bible centric, gospel centric church with John Tyson out there. Um, but you have to contextualize. It's just like Paul, you know, when Paul would go into these different, uh, communities and, and environments, he would contextualize his message to fit the people that he was ministering to and reaching to. And so he would quote secular poets and secular authors. And, you know, we in the South would go, Ooh, you know, should you be quoting? Because you know what they did. And it's, it's, it's just, it's a different culture. And so I, I, I'm seeing that a little bit in California, although Southern California is a little more like the Bible Belt than the Northwest for sure. But you can't say this is how you get people decided, discipled A, B, C, D. You have to look at where you're at and take what works and use it. As long as you're, you know, you said graduate, I would say growth. As long as you're growing into God's word and into being a disciple, um, wherever you start, is wherever you need to start, whether that's community or, you know, some places Bible study makes more sense. To that point, um, one of the responses when I was, when I was, when I was just asking a million questions was get people to the Bible, which is, 
in some ways a little bit of the end game, you know, getting people into the word and into scripture. And we all know that one of the indicators of a growing disciple is interaction with the word. But I just, I asked a question about that. Like, so where does that fit in to this pilgrimage um, that you would expect to get Portlanders on? Like if you use the barbecue example. And there is a step in between like that largest, the most open-ended aspect of the funnel and the Bible. And I think we have to be real careful that we don't replace actual human connection with with the Bible. I think, I mean, we all agree that the Bible is central, but I think too often we, we are like, at one point, Paul says, we are your letter. And I, to whatever extent we are inflamed in the Holy Spirit, and I know that there is some, I know there's a lot of discussion and debate about exactly how that works. What you can't debate is the, the acts of the Holy Spirit in our world and in our lives and in the church. The Holy Spirit should be very alive. And as believers, we should be carrying that component in us. And if we're not, well, then I think there is some questions to be asked. But in these Portland, in this Portland context, uh, just in this conversation, it just became really clear that we, we have to represent the gospel well and not immediately go to surrogates. And we have to be confident in that we can represent the gospel where, uh, well, and that is in our own discipleship and our own devotional lives and in our own prayerful posture. You have to bring that into these relationships. And that's the first touch that we truly, we show Christ likeness. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that became real in that conversation is if you wrestle with the question, so how long is that? Well, Chris, I mean, that could be, this 30 minute conversation that we just had, or it could be a 20 year relationship that we have. Time really is immaterial in this context. So mm-hmm. it's just, I just thought that was interesting. It's not, I don't think it's a bullseye for the listeners out there in this way, but I think it, it's just a good reminder. Just like what you said, there is a very dynamic environment that we are asked to manage and facilitate. And it's going to take different sizes and shapes and faces. In some ways, there's a, there's a high level of fluidity in, um, in groups leadership. And it is going to vary from context to context. New York City is different from Birmingham. That's different from Portland. And even in Birmingham, a place like that, you would have like a, a student culture downtown. Um, you would have some diversity in some places and you would have a complete lack of diversity in other places. So mm-hmm. it's just, there are just so many ways to come at this. And, you know, when we left, I said, how can I pray for you? And he said, yeah, I appreciate that question. One was just help us combat that we would be wise in how we combat the apathy that we have. And we're able to just through the aid of the spirit and our own convictions, just be able to work through that. And the second was to pray for this, uh, this new layer of group ministry and discipleship that they're launching this fall. No, that's that's great. And yeah, like you said, um, even within your city, you have different contexts. So I don't know that you can just blanket a city with the same type of groups with the same type of focus and be able to reach everyone. It goes back to um, 
when the whole missional groups was, was kind of a, becoming a big deal, uh, when Austin stone, uh, you know, kind of rolled theirs out and, uh, 3dm and, and s- some other things. And, um, it, we, I think we lost some of that component of our groups because we've discovered that an entire system built on that may not, may not go that far, but you have to have group leaders that see things with a missional lens so they can take the, the, the group experience, the Bible study and contextualize, you know, maybe it, it is that conversation with that neighbor for three months before you even, uh, introduce them into your small group or into a Bible study or, you know, so yeah. So I think equipping those leaders to always look at it from their eyes and not always from the church leader's eyes, because they're going to see it. They're the boots on the ground. They're the ones in their neighborhood. They're the ones in their apartment complex. And so they know how to reach the people around them better than we, you know, we do when we're not living in that, that place. It, you know, it goes south to north to, uh, from, you know, uh, downtown Nashville to Cooperstown where I live. It's just different environments. So in that conversational spirit, what are some things that you would, how, what would you, how would you counsel leaders as they launch new groups or like new ministries and they're looking for volunteers? What are some, what are some things to know that would be helpful yeah. to know? What would you have yeah. liked to have known? Here's what I would have liked to have known um, when I started. And I think every new leader, no matter what context, needs to know. One, first thing is that they're not alone. Uh, as we launch groups, uh, you know, it's a very uh, kind of an island experience because you're hosting it most of the time in your home or a coffee house or something like that. And so, yeah, it can feel like you don't have a lot of support and you're kind of doing this and you may have church leadership that check in every once in a while and you may have some huddles, but for the most part, you're, you're kind of out there on your own. So we need to encourage new leaders that whenever they have questions, um, you know, we're there for them and we're constantly just checking in either by email or text or just letting them know that they're not on an island, that we're supporting them. And whenever they have a question they can't answer or feel like they shouldn't answer or anything like that, they have somebody to turn to. So I think that's the first one is that they have support. The second one is that they only have to be one step ahead of the people that they're leading in their groups. I think a lot of people will shy away from being a group leader because they think they have to have all the answers and they have to be more of a biblical scholar, pastor type um, to answer those questions when really it's just facilitating a conversation. And when I say one step ahead, obviously you prefer them to be a believer. So if you have people in your group that aren't believing, but even just having, you know, knowledge of the study for that week. So having read through it, know where it's going, know where the finish line is, so that you can help guide that conversation to where it needs to go for for the night. And then a third one, a big one for me when I was a new leader that I struggled with is that you don't have to be best friends with every single person in your group. You know, I took on that pressure of thinking that, okay, I'm a small group leader, so I have to know every single person in my group deeply, um, know what their needs are, know how I can help them, and for for me, that's just really intimidating and something that I, I led to a feeling of failure for a long time when that's not even my job. My job is to help people in my group 
connect to each other. So finding those natural connections, those conversations that are already happen, happening around the room because they have shared interests, um, stage of life, and helping those connections happen. And then I can find those two or three guys that I can connect with on a deep level just for me personally, but I don't have to do that and shouldn't do that with everybody in the group. That's not even, that's not even healthy. And then the next thing is that they don't have to have all the answers. Um, just like we said, if you are supporting them in a good way, they can say, Hey, I don't know, but let me check. Let me check with Brian, uh, with Pastor Brian this week and let's circle back to that or let's have a phone call this week so I can do some research on it. So it's okay to not have all the answers. And then finally, pray, man. I'm thinking of the church in Portland as they go into this mindset of being missionaries in their city. Um, the only way they're going to be able to do it is with God and the Holy Spirit's power. And the way that happens is through, is through prayer. Um, the only way I get through a group meeting every week and feel like I have any type of, uh, you know, uh, help for the people in my group or support for them is if I, you know, if I seek God and seek him for the answers and seek the Holy Spirit. And so that has to be integral to your weekly preparation for your group. So those, those are just some, there's more, but I think if uh, every group leader knows those five things, that they're not alone, that they only have to be one step ahead, that they can help other people connect within their group that they don't have to have all the answers and that they need to be in prayer because they need God's power every single week. I think you'll have a pretty good group. I just want to just ask a follow-up question on uh, that third one about not having to be everyone's best friend or BFF. What, cause that's something that I have struggled with in group is, uh, you know, when we, it's a part of any like groups blog or blue uh, groups, podcast is just how to manage the time because you always hear about the hour and a half group time becoming a three hour group time and getting to bed at like yeah. 11 o'clock. I think we've all, I think we can all relate to that. Yes. So what have you learned about how I've just learned just, just I've just got to set up boundaries. I just have to be able to say, Hey, <laughs> I'm going to bed. It's uh let's pick this up. Uh, I'll look for a time this week, or I'll give you a call and we can follow up on this. Have, is that kind of where you've landed? I, you know, and yeah. I mean, the way that it's couched here is really nice. It's like, you don't have to be everybody's best friend. That's real important. Yeah. Uh, yeah. In just those practical ways, I think I've, I've probably told the story on, uh, on this podcast at some point, but in one of our early groups, when we hadn't set boundaries, we had one couple in particular, Really nice couple, love them to death, but they would not leave. And so every group meeting, everyone had left our house and it was at the time always at our house. And we would literally, we had little kids at the time. So we would go and start getting our kids ready for bed. And one of us would stay out talking to them. Uh, you know, I would put on pajamas and go back out <laughs> and they just, you know, because we didn't set those clear expectations and those boundaries. And so one of the things that I always do when I lead a group is I say here at the very beginning, and it's actually in our covenant, here's the meeting time. It's from, uh, seven to eight thirty or nine, usually, you know, two hours. And I said, we want to respect everyone's time. You know, some people have kids, they have day, you know, childcare, they have, uh, 
work the next day and I'll always make a joke like, and I need to go to bed because I'm old. Right. You know, so I just kind of set that expectation. We set that expectation that yes, um, we want to be open to things, but we want to be respectful of everyone. So here are the time. Now within that, we also say, Hey, let's, let's meet outside of group. Let's make that a habit for people. So let's get together for lunch. Let's have that phone call where we can have those more intimate discussions. But during group time, this is this is about. I think it's important to start on time and end on time, and people are more likely to come back if you do both of those things. Yeah, and you had some good ideas about just with everyone in the group, just regular touches are good substitutes for the best friend phenomenon that we're talking about as well. Yep. I think people, by and large, we all of us want some measure of affirmation. And it just comes, I think we expect that in different ways. So just be on the lookout for that. I need that from you, Brian, like all the time. I just need some affirmation that I'm okay. I think what I do is enough. (laughs) Well, that's going to wrap it up for this episode of the Group Answers Podcast. Appreciate you being with us. As always, we love comments and follows and And if you can find it in your heart, subscribe to us that way. You don't have to find us by accident or go looking. That's going to do it for this episode. Thank you, Chris Surratt. As always, we'll see you on down the road.